Welcome to the Truth CSGO podcast, episode three. I'm your host, The Truth. Today we're going to be talking about the PGL major qualifiers. We're going to be talking about Thorin. We're going to be uh, talking about toxicity in CSGO and we'll uh, have a little chat about NBK's new app for iOS and Android. So first up, the PGL Major Qualifier has just finished this weekend and uh, eight teams are now going on to join the other eight teams for the PGL Major, which will be happening later this July. Firstly, a bit of history. If you've listened to the first two episodes, you'll know that like a lot of casual players of CSGO, I really don't have any idea what the difference between the competitions are, what PGL means, what ESL means, what SEA means. No one ever really sort of explains that to you in the commentary. So let's just talk a little bit about PGL major. Firstly, if you're new to what the difference between a major and a minor is, majors are delineated from the miners by being sponsored by Valve, the creators of CSGO, who put forward a reward of over 250k. So the major coming up is going to be a million dollar prize pool. That means the winner will get 500k and that's the rest is divvied up between uh, the runners up. Now the last major was the E-League major where Australia beat Virtus Pro. That was back in January of this year. In terms of what PGL is, that's the Professional Gamers League. So just to give you a little quick rundown on them, so you don't have to do the Googling. Uh, They were founded in 1997 when they uh, got a bunch of cash from this guy called Vinod Koshla, who was a billionaire who founded uh, Sun Microsystems. They held their first StarCraft tournament in 97. They went under for a while, and then the term was re-registered, or the name was re-registered in 2015 by a company that was already putting on events since 2011, including DreamHack, Bucharest, and others. Just to make sense of what this these minor qualifiers were this weekend, and in case you didn't watch them, basically there's going to be 16 teams competing come the major in Krakow, or Krakow, if you're a Pole, from July 21st to 23rd. Eight of those teams are going to be what the tournament calls legends. That means that they previously played in a major. And the other eight are going to be called challengers, and those eight teams have had to go through what is called minors and then qualifiers. So through the month of June, there's been four minors for different regions. One was in the Americas, one was in Europe, one was in CIS, and one was in Asia. Now, if you're like me and you weren't really taught anything about the world in high school, aka, you know, you're Australian or you're American, CIS stands for Commonwealth of Independent States. That was a coalition formed Uh, On the collapse of the Soviet Union in 91, it includes Armenia, Azerbaijan, Belarus, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan, Moldova, Russia, Tajikistan, uh, Turkmenistan, Ukraine, and Uzbekistan. So with those four minors, we got 16 teams, and all of them were competing this weekend uh, in Bucharest, Romania, in what was called the offline qualifiers. Now that's resulted in eight teams qualifying. We've got Big, Cloud9, G2, Immortals, Mouse Sports, Penta, Vega Squadron, and Flipside. And as I said before, they will all go to the major at the end of July. Now, while this this weekend had a lot of really fun moments, the teams were actually fairly 
even in terms of their skill level, at least more than I assumed they would be. Going into the to the weekend, myself and the casters really thought that I guess the the the, the favourites, Immortals, G two, maybe even Cloud Nine or Liquid, were just sort of such clear favourites, but. All of them had their ups and downs in the games. Let's just start with what was really great about this weekend because I had a great time watching it. Firstly, as a viewer, one of the best things was these great interviews they did post-match with the team captains. Sometimes these can be really awkward and really feel really rushed and and not really extrapolate or not, not really add anything to what we've already witnessed. And often they also occur too quickly after a match when a team captain is either coming off the real high of winning or is still feeling the effects of a recent loss. Sometimes the adrenaline's coursing. You can, you can tell that they're still shaking from the adrenaline. These were conducted long enough after a game that the captains had sort of had a bit of time to process what had gone on. And uh, especially good was one particular interview with Gob B after uh, he's, he's the captain of Big who played better than some of the people were expecting, some of the casters were expecting. I don't know Big that well, but I hadn't, they hadn't come up on my radar too much. But Gobby had a great interview post his team's showdown with Liquid on train, which they won. And he spoke about, or he confessed that he knew somehow, I haven't really gone into how he would have known, but uh, he knew that they would end up playing train. So what his team did overnight was just look at six demos of Liquid on train, work out what their strats were going to be. But then because he knew that Liquid would know that he was going to watch those, he assumed that they would wait a certain amount of rounds before they used those strats. So he didn't counter-strat those as well until he felt like oh, this is probably the moment when they feel like they will use the strats again and take us off guard. And he talked about a double nade that they did uh, in mid that caught them exactly in the play he assumed they were they were making. So that was really interesting to hear about someone sort of counter-stratting a counter-strat of a counter-strat. You always, uh, well, I've always assumed that uh, captains sort of had to go into that sort of detail but I, it was the first time I'd actually heard someone saying it. So that was a really interesting post-match interview. He's a likable guy. It's great to see one of these tournaments making the most of having all of these players there. And uh, most of them seem very willing to have a chat to the casters. Now, look, one of these, one of the reasons this might be is because another one of the great things about this tournament was the hosting by Red Eye. Uh, Red Eye's real name has just slipped my mind. What's his real name? Red Eye CSGO. You know, the funny thing is if you type Red Eye CSGO in, you get uh, some sort of cheats website. Red Eye is apparently the name of a CSGO cheat. His real name is Paul Shalliner. He's a bit older than the rest of the casters or the analysts and the rest of the desk, which really actually lends the whole event a little more uh, solidity because he's, he's, he's a little bit more like a parent and uh, he doesn't really engage in the sort of immature banter that some of the casters do. 
um, Anderson Semler uh, revert to it. Henry G and Sadikist, you know, you, you guarantee they'll they'll make some sort of silly joke. Uh, Yanko has fun. Moses has fun. Um, I'm not against any of this, but having Red Eye there as this sort of authority anchor just really was a, a really great choice. He works so much better than someone like Richard Lewis who doesn't have that same benevolent authority that Red Eye has. So that was a big plus for me. I'm only going to talk about one match because, like I said, most of them were, seemed like they had quite an even skill rank. But for the final match, which was for me the most exciting between Flipside and Liquid, it was exciting chiefly because I didn't really know Flipside. They weren't really on my radar. As the casters pointed out, they hadn't been to any huge events. They hadn't really had much of a presence in the last six months or 12 months. But through this sort of match that was quite epic, it went for 23 to 26. Uh, went up until 23 to 26. I learned a little bit more about Markeloff, who was a famous opera in uh, 1.6 for Na'Vi. Waylander, who was a previous source player, so with uh, as, as it was with World Edit. I don't really know these guys, but they've been around for a while. Some of them are 30, some of them are... Uh, 28 they're they're slightly older it was a fierce match it was pretty great liquid put up a good fight jdm had some great orping jdm by the way i don't know if it's just me but it looks like he he's just like sitting on his couch watching tv maybe he needs to actually sit up when he plays looks like he's on a lazy boy or something anyway electronic uh had an amazing match i think he was like 48 kills or something in the end actually speaking of what players look like Go to Google right now and Google uh, Kaneda from the movie Akira, K-A-N-E-D-A, and tell me that doesn't look like electronic. But apart from that, uh, there was a great clutch from Twist on the B-Bomb site. It was a mirage, uh, so have a Google of that for a good play. One of the other things that stuck out to me was Liquid don't really seem to have that emotional anchor. I spoke last week about Fallen. And how he sort of seems to be the sort of the dad of the team. Who is that character on Liquid? We also spoke about Liquid last week and that pilot they made for uh, the road to the majors. And none of the players really standing out from each other. I guess Zeus is somewhat of the father of the team. But Zeus isn't, isn't, in, isn't in the team. He's not a player. There doesn't seem to be that calming influence on the team. Now, the post-match interview with Blade, who's the in-game leader of Flipside, didn't seem to, didn't really give me any confidence that he is that character for Flipside because he looked fucking nervous. He just won uh, the match, but he was sweating and, uh, and 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 a bit shaky. Maybe he's just coming down from the adrenaline. But I wonder if Markeloff is that character for flip side because i felt like they had it they had more of that backbone liquid seemed to be sort of going to pieces a bit and i reckon that's you know what it could be because i was i was looking at um all those videos when uh, hiko spilt the beans on his time at liquid and pointed a lot of fingers at elige for being a recurring problem if your star player acts the way elige seems to act i'm only making allegations here based on having watched 
matches, I don't really know what he's like in the team. But he seems quite introverted. If that's your star player and the team is in a way sort of revolving around them a bit, what sort of a team is that? It even struck me in that uh, footage that I think Liquid made a documentary in 2014, maybe 15, when Hiko was with them, Simple was with them, and they were going to, I think it was ESL 1 New York, maybe, where they got knocked out in the semis and Na'Vi eventually won. It struck me that none of them sort of seemed to have anything in common. JDM was a very different person to Elige, to Hiko, to uh, Simple. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be that person who sort of holds the team together in the way that you see Fallen does. Um, you see that Carrigan does with FaZe now. He's got that good humour that he seems to keep regardless of what happens. I mean, even Cloud9 sort of seem to have more camaraderie. They've got nothing. Who apparently is sort of a quite relentlessly buoyant and Stewie2K seems to be doing a good job of leading. Who do Liquid have? They just don't seem to have that same sort of backbone. So maybe this will be the chance for them to reconsider that, have a look at how that works. Because individually, they seem to have the skill. JDM had some great shots, but they just didn't seem to quite be able to convert that. In terms of the bad, so I've just been uh, harping on about the good in this qualifier because I really enjoyed it. But in terms of the bad, one of the things that I thought was a bit ridiculous was once the match was over... The lights didn't come up in the studio, so everybody was sort of in the dark still, especially when they stepped out from their desks to shake each other's hands. And they're all in these kind of sockets. Like, it's obviously summer there. It's warm. No one's wearing, like, long socks and pants, really. It just felt a bit unprofessional after after the way the, the rest of it sort of played out. Uh, the other bad thing was that there's going to be no Australians at the major, at least playing i assume sponge will be somewhere in the commentary but renegades were also knocked out so that's disappointing but hopefully uh, they will go back to the practice room and have a good hard long look at how they're playing now this leads us on to duncan shields aka thorin during sort of the final you know hours of this uh qualifiers he made a bit of a kerfuffle on reddit because of a tweet where he said back in my day you celebrated after you did something at a major not simply because you made it to one so let's just talk a little little bit about thorin and why he causes these stirs and uh what i think thorin sort of needs to do for his own sake and for ours now this is obviously an inflammatory tweet, right? You've just had a couple of teams, some of whom have never made a major, really getting hyped and excited about having made the major, hugging each other, immortals, you you know. I think it was Henny or Lucas was sort of basically in tears. So what possible reason for tweeting this could anyone have had, you know? There's just a bunch of people celebrating and uh, the guy doesn't seem happy about that. It almost seems quite contradictory. So let's start with who Thorin is because I'm not an expert on the guy. I haven't been paying attention to him for as long as he's been in the scene. But when I sort of really started to become interested in watching CSGO three or four years ago, he was one of the first people to come up on my radar. And, and one of the reasons is he's, he's unique. He's very outspoken. He's seemingly uh, quite anti being politically correct. He likes to stir people up and he likes to pick on their vulnerabilities. 
This is a 34-year-old guy. He's got a YouTube channel that seems to be quite successful and he makes a lot of content about not only Counter-Strike but also League of Legends. He's been hired by various esports organizations over the years and a few times he's been fired from them basically for uh, putting his foot in his mouth. Um, I think he said something. He said quite a few derogatory things about polls either at or leading up to the competition in Katowice. I think it was uh, 2015. So he's not very good at censoring himself for the sake of professionalism. Anyway, look, just to, uh, as a little sort of, uh, how do you say it, as a disclaimer, I think Thorin has some really great points. He's engaging. He has a great ability to keep talking, seemingly with a sort of a bottomless well of knowledge about previous performances of teams. Uh, And he's, like I said before, he's got a lot more personality than some of the other people who, who we see on the desk. Last week, I was a little bit disparaging about the other, uh, the two dudes who were with Alex Machine Richardson on one of the desks. I think it was the ECS season three finals. Um, one of the guys is called Pimp, and the other guy, I can't remember for the life of me because he was sort of disastrously non uh, engaging. But anyway, this is one of the reasons why Thorin is an interesting guy and a, and a good TV personality. In his own words, in fact, on the byline of his Twitter, he is the most important opinion in esports. And he tweeted in June, on June 25th, I'm still the most talked about analyst and nobody is coming close to my title. Now, as was pointed out, I think in the, in the retweets, being the most talked about person isn't necessarily a good thing or doesn't necessarily mean you're a, a, a nice person or a successful person or someone anyone likes. It's, it's telling, isn't it, that he, he feels the need to assert his superiority in this field. If you're secure about your position, you kind of don't need to tell people. Similarly, if you're secure about your position, you don't really need to attack people. And this is what this tweet did. What is this guy insecure about? He is famous in the community. He has a huge subscribership, as he himself has just tweeted. He's got over 45 million views on his YouTube. I'm not going to verify that. I'll take his word for it. I mean, the guy's killing it. Why would you need to rub it into anyone? I mean, I watched some of his... uh, casting recently of the ECS Pro League for a channel called Room on Fire. Him and Get Right and Lurpus and Semler sat around on a couch and just sort of commentated on the on the Pro League finals. And and you can actually, if you Google, you can watch some of the highlights of this, aka the lowlights, aka Thorin just kind of attacking Get Right. And it's frankly embarrassing the way he makes fun of Get Right, who is either not as quick in his feet as Thorin, has more emotional sort of skin in the game in terms of what Thorin's saying because Thorin's making fun of him for being a washed-up ex-pro. He's making fun of NIP for not change, making a roster change despite, you know, sort of disastrous slump in their, in their results. Or, or Get Right just sort of has more class. And the longer it goes on, the more it sort of changes from cringy to just sort of disbelief. Like, how is this guy continuing to attack Get Right? You know, if he's as good friends with Get Right as he says, it goes far beyond the way you would rag a friend in that if you notice a friend takes something seriously, which Get Right obviously seems to be doing at some point, you stop. The issue is with with Thorin when it comes down to it, we kind of like to hate him, I think. And I feel like he knows it. He thrives off it. And he has a certain power 
over us because of this, because he knows that he generates headlines. And now what's interesting is that he's been compared to Trump recently on Reddit, and for good reason, because by belittling people like Get Right, who are not inclined to belittle him back, he manages to push ahead in a way. Because that person steps aside. That person doesn't want to play the same game of uh, personal attacks. And that leaves a gap open that he steps into. I mean, this is a guy who revels, revels, I should say, in public about getting paid lots of money. He's done it time and time again. It's If that's not a, a similarity to Trump, I don't know what is. The guy's even retweeted Trump on previous occasions. Basically, I think in terms of the future of Thorne, I just hope that he's going to settle down because he's a valuable voice and intellect, he's just got to realise that no one's out to get him. Or they wouldn't be if he was just a little bit nicer. So let's move on from Thorin. I'm sure he'll come back into the podcast. He has a way of being talked about. Uh, To the issue of toxicity, and this is one that's going to be a recurring theme, I'm sure, with this podcast. As I've said, I'm a casual player. I mostly play matchmaking. I'm not huge on Face It. Uh, I haven't played ESCA, being from Australia. One of the recurring problems of matchmaking, as any of you would know, is that every time you queue for a game, you're basically rolling the dice in terms of the kind of people you will be uh, teamed up with. And this may not actually be, be true, but it does feel like the dice is loaded in terms of landing with a bunch of toxic players. Now, this is such a problem that I'm going to do a longer episode, I think, focusing just on toxicity and the sort of insane levels it can reach in MM. I just thought for this episode, I'd just do a little report on a recent match I had that was sort of flabbergasting in its uh, bizarre toxicity. And just as another disclaimer, look, I've met some great people matchmaking and there's nothing more fun than discovering a stranger who is positive and into the game and willing to collaborate with you and listen to you and share strats with you and just generally like be open to the sort of instant friendship that is really conducive to a game with a stranger but this particular game i was matched up with a guy called jordan on nuke and two of his friends were playing with him actually screenshotted his profile i'm just going to bring it up in front of me because he was so insanely toxic i thought i had to just do something about him so one of the things I discovered about Jordan are the other names he's played under. Uh, I'm going to read some of these out. If you know this guy, let him know. He's a dickhead. This user has also played as, according to the profile, Jordan, 1-2-Jew, Uncle Jew, The Kid, Jewy OG, Lully OG, I Take Advantage of Drunk Girls. So obviously... Just a really nice guy. So he began the match during the warm-up with an order that was if anyone made any calls, he would go AFK. He would go into that mode where you sort of spin around in spawn. So I thought, okay, fine. You're a dickhead, whatever. He had two friends with him who I assumed they were on Discord because occasionally they would sort of speak... Uh, as if they'd been talking on another chat or something. And sure enough, first round starts. The other guy who's not part of their team makes a call, you know, someone's in ramp or something. And he put his mouse down and immediately started spitting on the spot. 
he got killed, we lost the round. And he had this really stroppy sort of childish, that's what you get, you know, and his friends were kind of laughing at it. And I've had this enough that I know if you get, if you get triggered by any of this, it just sort of makes things worse and these people behave even worse. So I muted him and went on with the game. I didn't make any calls. In that sort of a scenario, I kind of play the turtle put my head down and I just play the best game I can and try and ignore what these guys are doing. But Jordan was an angry, angry guy. There was one point where I actually uh, aced, I aced the round and I thought, okay, that maybe, you know, maybe, maybe the situation has sort of changed somewhat because a lot of what he was saying, you know, during the first few rounds before I muted him was your shit and you guys are so shit and just quit and just kill yourself and just uninstall. Typical sort of toxicity. And my ace somehow made this guy even extra angry and extra irritated. It just, every time I get these sorts of players... I'm sort of taken aback by how people can be so interested in getting a rise out of other people. Like, why are you actually playing this game? The whole point for me is the competition. That, that's what I enjoy about it. It's as if these people could be doing almost anything as long as they're getting a rise out of other people, as long as they're making other people frustrated. I asked this guy, you know, we finished the match. I think we lost. I think we only just lost, actually. I unmuted him and I said, Jordan, why are you so angry? And uh, he gave me this sort of go-to response, which is obviously facetious, but surely telling it a Freudian sort of way, he said, well, my father abused me. My daddy used to kick me or something like that. I still don't know the best way to deal with these people. Because, you know, it, it, look, if you've got a room and they're all friends, if you say anything, you, you'll get kicked. I've been kicked at the very last minute despite playing an okay game and saying absolutely nothing even if you mute them this happens i'm just not sure about what you can do i mean i i report them what does it do i still i still kind of wasted a bunch of my time if i quit the game i i'm banned i'm gonna have to have a think about this and if you've got any ideas write write to me um I've got an email set up now for this podcast and I've got a Twitter actually, the first Twitter of my life. So I'm a bit of a noob at that, but the, the Twitter is at the truth CSGO and the email is the truth CSGO podcast at gmail.com. Now that's enough about toxicity. The last thing I'm going to talk about is the NBK app. NBK, aka Nathan Schmidt from G2, has participated in an app. It's called Primed Mind. You can get it for iOS and Android. And it seems to be a sort of meditation slash hypnosis session that you can do before a game. The sessions are conducted by a guy called Elliot Rowe, who, as far as I could find out, with the sort of moderate level Googling that I doing this show has been a hypnotist and has recently made a name for himself as a hypnotist primarily for poker players including a guy called Fedor Hulse who apparently is the seventh most successful poker player in the world right now and that seems to have been his ticket to recent levels of internet celebrity based on a review that I found of him and one of his hypnotherapy sessions, he seems to use NLP, which if you don't know, that's neuro-linguistic programming. One of the techniques they use is getting you to visualize your anxiety and then do things with it. For instance, wrap it into a ball and then kick the ball over the fence. And it doesn't actually, it's not actually clear to me how NBK is completely uh, involved in this. 
So I'm going to have to have a bit of a play with this and get back to you. It seems to be based on some sort of subscription model, uh, but there are a few free courses. I will have a listen. I'll report back. I think the idea of some sort of calming session that you did before a game is great because more often than not, even if I'm warmed up, if I'm in an agitated or a stressed state or I'm thinking about other things, I'm never going to play well. So I love the idea of this. I think NBK is a great player. He seems like a pretty calm guy most of the time. So if he's involved, if he's actually had any input in this, it could actually be really valuable. So more on that in future episodes. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Let me know if there's anything you want me to talk about. I'm definitely still going to be doing an episode where I just do a rundown of all the different competitions. I'm definitely still going to do an episode all about Bialy from VP. Once again, the Twitter is at the Truth CSGO, so follow me if you like, or make a review on iTunes about this podcast, or give me an email at the truthpodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>